0: Father, for the sake of Jesus, I'm asking you to open our eyes to see wondrous things from your law. Teach us that it's sweeter than honey. Amen. All right, we're going to start in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 6, and then we're going to shift to Acts 1. So if you have your Bibles, please feel free to follow along. Luke 24, 1 to 6. And then from Acts 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Exactly. (laughs) While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And to the rest. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 1, where I'll be preaching from this morning. We'll read verses 1 through 11, but we'll be focusing on verse 1. Acts chapter 1, two books later. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Why this text and why this sermon on an Easter Sunday? Because if there's one thing that will steal our joy, dim the light of Christ in our hearts, and dull our appetite for God, it's having believing minds that Jesus has conquered death, but feeling and acting from our hearts like he's still in the tomb, or like he's not here, he's absent. I'm convinced that if we are to feel really alive to God, Our hearts have to see that he is really alive to us. The real Jesus, alive and present. I mean, do you struggle to resist temptations? Is reading the Bible a chore? Is prayer tedious? Do you feel alone? Would it be so if you could see Jesus sitting next to you? Since the day Jesus rose from the dead, we've been prone to two mistakes. The first is looking in the tomb, and the second is looking at the sky. So in the first passage we read, Luke 24, the woman who accompanied Jesus went to the tomb looking for his body, and in Acts 1, Jesus ascends to heaven, and the disciples stand there gaping at the sky. And both times, God sends two angels in white clothes or dazzling clothes to redirect our gaze to help us see what's really true. They say to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? And they say to the disciples later, why do you stand there gazing into heaven? Now, if you were to go downstairs to my office, I have a a picture on the desk uh, of my wife from the day of our wedding. It's a beautiful picture of a beautiful woman from a very beautiful day. But that day continues on, as it were, into the present with the presence of my wife. And I would never sit and stare at this picture of her while ignoring her actual presence. Our wedding day was not the end of our story. It was the beginning of our story. And the way I honor our wedding day 11 years ago is to enjoy the real presence of my wife here and now. And the same is true of Jesus And the day that Jesus was crucified. It was a terrible, beautiful day. But the cross is not just a mere point in history. It continues on, as it were, into the present, with the presence of the risen Christ. Should we not treat him like he's alive and here? So today I'm asking Jesus, through his spirit, to press it into our hearts that he is risen. I'm asking him to help us joyfully bring the whole of our lives into this reality that heaven has a heartbeat and that the king reigns reigns among us. Our mission at Christ Church is not to make the historical Jesus interesting. It's to make the real Jesus irresistible. So to that end, I'm going to preach from Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Let me just read it again for you. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt that all, with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, the book of Acts was written by Luke, who was a physician and a gifted historian, and it's actually a two-part work, Luke's writings. There's the gospel of Luke, and there's the book of Acts. They actually go together. And both Luke and Acts are addressed to someone called Theophilus, who was probably some sort of wealthy benefactor of the church, and he was interested in Jesus. He probably believed in Jesus. And he wanted this historian, Luke, to chronicle and explain the details of Jesus' life and ministry. And it's interesting that when Luke goes to explain the life of Jesus, he doesn't stop at the crucifixion or at the resurrection, but he writes a whole second book. So here in the introduction to this second book, Luke explains that Acts is a continuation of what he was dealing with in the first book. He says, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So we're going to start there, our first point out of two this morning, all that Jesus began to do and teach, doing and teaching. Luke's gospel is is not just a, a record of Jesus's works. And it's not just a record of Jesus' teachings. Luke presents Jesus' doing and teaching together. Because like gospel doctrine and gospel culture, they're inseparable. You can't take them apart from each other. You know, if Jesus just taught, we'd have a lot of good advice that we couldn't follow. And if Jesus just did, we'd have the way of salvation open for us, but no clue how to walk in that path. So I went through Luke's Gospel again this week, which was a a soul-nourishing exercise. And I I made pages of notes categorizing and summarizing what Jesus did, all the things that Jesus did. And I boiled it all down. And here's what I found. There's seven of them, um, but I won't number them that'll get confusing. So here's, here's what I found. Jesus moved towards sinners instead of standing aloof. Though he was God, he was incarnate as a human, a helpless human, baby. He moved toward sinners and and shared meals with them. He moved toward the lepers and the outcasts. He wept over Jerusalem that he loved, but that wouldn't love him. He moved toward sinners. Jesus healed diseases and removed shame. So he cleansed the unclean, he healed the sick, the lame, the blind, and the deaf fevers ran from him. He touched lepers, and he restored people their dignity. He healed diseases and removed shame. Jesus overcame the evil that oppressed his people. He overcame the devil's temptations in the wilderness. He cast out demons and unclean spirits that were tormenting people. Jesus called disciples... Jesus sent missionaries. Jesus calmed fears, eased anxieties, and strengthened weak faith. Jesus forgave sinners. To the sinner woman who anointed him and washed his feet with her tears and her hair, he said, your sins are forgiven. To the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And he died on that cross to forgive me and you of our sins. And lastly, Jesus destroyed death. That's at least a summary of just what Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke. Only in three years, too. Never has such a man walked the earth. So how can we summarize what Jesus taught? Well, Luke actually, uh, in uh, Luke 4.43... Jesus himself summarizes his teachings. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So if you were to ask Jesus, why were you sent? He would say to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. All over. All the teaching of Jesus fits under that big umbrella. The good news of the kingdom of God. And when he preached and taught on this, people were astonished. Why? Well, it's not because he was presenting this new information or a new kind of category of thought or a new religious system. It was the authority with which he spoke. You see, the, the Jews knew about the kingdom of God. The Jews were expecting the kingdom of God. They were looking for The kingdom of God, but they were astonished to meet one who did not teach with the authority of a scribe, but with the authority of the king of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God was that the king was there. And where the king is at hand, the kingdom is at hand. Jesus taught about what the kingdom is like it's it's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven and a lump of dough, it's like a feast. It's a place where children are honored and welcomed. It's a place for the poor in spirit. It's a place for the lowly, the oppressed, the mourner, the sojourner, the comforter, the forgotten and the overlooked. Jesus taught how to live in this kingdom. Jesus taught us how to pray in this kingdom. But most importantly, he taught that the good news of the kingdom of God was that the king has come, that you're loved, that you can be forgiven and accepted and at peace with God. There's a way for rebels to get back into the kingdom, and the way is Jesus. So he taught us about himself. In Luke 24, after he was raised from the dead, just after the passage we read, he meets some disciples on the road to Emmaus and Luke records this in Luke 24:27 beginning with Moses and all the prophets in other words from the beginning of their bible he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself so what did Jesus teach well he taught that the bible is about him that he's the king of the kingdom So Jesus' teachings were about the good news of the kingdom of God and Jesus' doings were the works of the king to bring about that kingdom and invite all this sorry bunch of rebels in. May we never separate his doing and teaching. One without the other would not be good news. But together they are truth and light and life and hope. Never has such a man walked the earth. The greatest tragedy in the world, though a tragedy with a happy twist, was the execution of that man on a Roman cross. It would be the second greatest tragedy in the world if the man who did all that was still dead. And it would be the third greatest tragedy in the world if he were alive, but absent. That brings us to our second point. Point number two, all that Jesus began do and teach. I could have preached on a lot of different aspects of the resurrection today. Easter's kind of this big open, you know, (laughs) which aspect of the resurrection do you want to talk about? I could tell you that the resurrection of Jesus is the stamp of certainty on the resurrection of all who trust in him, and it is. I could tell you that the resurrection is what applies our justification to us and vindicates us in Christ before God, etc. But I think Like me, perhaps, perhaps you need the Spirit to lay this truth to your hearts this morning that Jesus didn't just do and teach great things a long time ago, but that was just the beginning. I deeply believe we all need the Spirit of Jesus to give us an abiding sense of His presence, His aliveness. And furthermore, I think Jesus wants to give us that this morning. I really do. Now, Luke could have said, in my first book, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught. He could have said that in the past tense, right? Did and taught. But he puts it in the present tense with the word began in an emphatic position in the sentence. He says, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do you hear the difference? Now, the first two words in Greek of this, um, of, of this sentence are actually left untranslated in our English Bibles because it would be very clunky English and bad translation to put them in very literally. But very literally, it would read something like this. On the one hand, O Theophilus, in my first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what do we expect to hear after on the one hand? But on the other hand... Exactly. That never comes. He opens with on the one hand and never gives the but on the other hand. So why did Luke do that? He's an incredibly good grammarian. So it wasn't an accident. The entirety of the book of Acts is the on the other hand. Quite frankly, the entirety of church history is the on the other hand. Luke is saying, in the gospel account, I told you on the one hand of what Jesus began to do and teach, and in Acts, I'm telling you on the other hand what he continues to do and teach. Because if Jesus merely just taught and did in the past tense, we're in big trouble. But if Jesus continues to do, continues to teach, then we have all the hope and comfort in the world because he's alive and he's with us. The 4th century pastor John Chrysostom said that Luke is like the report of Jesus' resurrection and Acts is the demonstration of the resurrection. It's like Luke ends with, he is risen, and Acts starts with, he is risen indeed. The book of Acts famously closes in an open-ended way because we, the church of the risen Jesus, are the continuation of this story. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you are the demonstration of the resurrection of Jesus. How do I know? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How do I know that's true? Because Jesus has overcome the darkness in your hearts with his light. Because Jesus saved you from slavery to sin. Because I see you repenting. And that's just not a mustering up your willpower and determination. That's a miracle. It's a gift from Jesus. I see the fruit of the Spirit growing on you. I see the way you love each other with the sort of love that literally can only come from Jesus, from abiding in him. So the risen Jesus, is, he's in the gift-giving business. And it demonstrates his resurrection. It demonstrates that he is alive. So Jesus continues to do and teach. Excuse me. Jesus' whole teaching ministry was about the good news of the kingdom of God. And it continues to be that to this day. So Jesus continues to teach his church because he's alive and present. He doesn't give us a new revelation. God has spoken his final word in Christ. We don't need additions to the Bible, Jesus is sufficient. But he does do, he continues to do what he always did, which is open up the scriptures to us and show us that they're all about him and cause our hearts to burn. Jesus continues to teach us about the kingdom of God. Jesus continues to teach us how to pray in the kingdom. Of course, we have the Lord's Prayer, that's him teaching us to pray. He also sends his Spirit, Romans 8, to live in you and intercede for you when you don't know what to pray. The Spirit prays for you with groanings too deep for words. So he continues to teach us to pray. He continues to teach us how to live in the kingdom. The fruit of the Spirit are not just a nice ethical paradigm for us to adhere to. The point is the Word, the seed of the Word has been planted in you such that the Spirit gives growth to his resurrection fruit in your life today. Yeah, you're a demonstration of the resurrection. The risen Jesus doesn't just teach us things. As wonderful as that is, he continues to do as well. In the book of Acts, Jesus is the main character. It's not Paul, it's not Peter, it's not the church. Jesus is the main character, present through the Holy Spirit, who Luke often calls the Spirit of Jesus, by the way. So in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, after Pentecost, Peter says, Jesus poured out his Spirit on us, because he's alive. When Peter and John healed a man in the temple, Peter said, Jesus healed you. When Stephen was stoned, Jesus was there, standing to welcome him home. When Saul of Tarsus was blinded on the road to Damascus, Jesus was there. And he didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He so identifies and is present with his church that he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When Peter meets a bedridden man who's been bedridden for eight years, he says, Jesus heals you. When the Macedonians needed to hear the gospel, Jesus prevented Paul from going anywhere else. And uh, we owe the book of Philippians to that. When Paul is praying with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he says that the ministry that he has, he received from Jesus. And when Paul was in prison and needed courage, Jesus, it literally says, stood next to him. And Jesus said in his ear, take courage. How could you not take courage if Jesus stands next to you and and says that to your heart? Man. The risen Jesus continues to do. Not just in Acts, but today. Here, right now. Eugene Peterson, um, late pastor and author, used to say, when I preach, I picture Jesus walking up and down the aisles, healing some, comforting. Jesus moves towards sinners instead of standing aloof. He continues to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I am not a follower of Jesus because I'm sharp and have it all figured out. Because I'm not and I don't. I'm a follower of Jesus because he reached down to the depths of my darkness and he pulled me out. He does not wait for us to get our act together. He takes the initiative. He moves toward us. He eats with sinners. He seeks us out. The risen Jesus, the king of the universe, seeks you out. Jesus heals us and removes our shame. He is so radiantly good and pure. He's like the opposite of COVID-19, right? So if you're sick, you're contagious, right? If you have COVID, please socially distance yourself. Jesus is the opposite of that. So I couldn't find a word that means the exact opposite of contaminate. So I made one up, you contaminate with an E-U. It's very Tolkien-ish. But if you know Latin and Greek, it doesn't actually work. The, the, the point is, when, when we're sick... When we have shame and uncleanliness in us, which sin does to us, and Jesus touches us, we don't contaminate him. He contaminates us with his purity and his goodness. He heals us and removes our shame. Jesus continues to overcome the evil that oppresses us and tempts us. Jesus continues to call disciples. Jesus continues to send missionaries to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus continues to ease anxieties, calm fears, and strengthen the weak faith. Jesus continues to forgive sinners. And like the thief on the cross, all that's required is to look at Jesus in faith. Believe him and he'll save you. And he'll do all of that in you and be all of that for you. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But the gospel is not the gospel without the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus is not alive, it means nothing. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. This would be pitiful, what we're doing this morning, if he is not alive. Because if Jesus is still dead, the gospel is just an interesting idea, and the church would be about making the historical Jesus interesting. And I don't have time for that, and neither do you. That's not why we're here. Jesus is not dead, he is alive. And he is present through his spirit in his people. The fact that he continues to do and continues to teach means that all the infirmity-healing, evil-crushing, fear-assuaging, death-destroying power of the resurrection of God is at work in you today. You are the demonstration of the resurrection of Jesus. I saw another picture recently that stuck with me. Uh, I don't have this one on my desk, but I think I'm going to get a framed uh, copy. It's a picture of a man called Steve Saint standing next to um, a, uh, a, an Ecuadorian man um, wearing tribal clothing named Mincaye. This picture makes my heart sing. It lays the truth to my heart that Jesus is risen. Because the risen Jesus, the fact that Jesus is alive, is the only Possible explanation for this picture. Let me explain. When Steve St was five years old, uh, his father, Nate St, w- w- went with Jim Elliot and three other missionaries into the Alca territory in Ecuador to share the gospel with this tribe, a very hostile tribe. And after making contacts a few times and giving some gifts, they landed their plane on this convenient-looking strip of beach, and they saw some of the tribe's people coming toward them. and so they went out with gifts and smiles. And warriors jumped out of the jungle and speared all five of these missionaries to death, including Nate Saint, the pilot, who was the father of this five-year-old boy, Steve Saint. Less than two years later, Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, and Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth Elliot, moved into that tribe's camp and brought many to Christ. Rachel Saint, sister to a murdered man, lived among his murderers for 30 years. So when Steve was nine, he would go often and visit his aunt Rachel and stay with her for many months at a time. Steve, little nine-year-old, was adopted into that tribe. He became a member of the, um, the tribe called the Aukas. But someone, as a new tribes member, someone had to show this nine-year-old Steve the ropes. So Rachel Saint went to a man named Menkaye. The very man who had speared Nate Saint to death. And she said, Well, you killed the boy's father. Who do you think should teach him the ways of the tribe? Steve Saint was adopted by Menkaye, his father's murderer, who had become a Christian. Steve's own children call Menkaye grandfather. And now Steve Saint is an older man, I don't know, in his 60s perhaps. And here he is in this picture, standing next to Minkaye, this father figure to him that he loves. What could possibly explain that but the risen Jesus? It's a moving story. But when I look at you, I feel the same way. What could possibly explain you? But the risen Jesus. Why do stories like that surprise us? Because we're looking at the tomb or we're looking at the sky. Jesus is not dead, He is risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus is not absent, He's here. Why do you stand staring at the sky? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you are alive and that you're with us. We ask you to be pleased through your spirit to reframe all of our lives in light of this truth. Help us to have an abiding sense of your presence and to rejoice and draw strength and comfort and courage from the fact that death could not hold you down and that you're alive. Amen. Amen.